kind of a jazzy Christmas. Yeah, we liked it. You could tell they've been practicing, and uh, it was delightful. Merry Christmas to everyone. Welcome to Advent at Union Chapel. We've been talking about fears that all of us have to face from time to time. And in consultation with these angels, Mary and Joseph, and then today we'll see the shepherds all had to overcome fears. First week we talked about Mary's fear of being afraid of what God might ask her to do. And last week we talked about Joseph and the fear of what other people think. And we learned that it's important to live your life for an audience of one, to honor and glorify God. Try not to be afraid of what other people think. And today we want to talk about this fear that is common to everyone, which is the fear of where we stand with God. In all of our quiet moments, every one of us, when we're honest with ourselves, we ask the question, I wonder where I stand with God and what will happen to me when I die. And there's good news today because Jesus said that you don't have to be afraid. You can know about the answer to that question. So today we're going to use as our text this visitation of the angels to the shepherds Luke chapter 2, it'll be familiar to you, I'm sure, verses 8 through 11. So if you have your Bibles, turn there, Luke 2, 8 to 11, and I'm going to read those verses for us. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. We'll project these words on the screen for you. So as you're able, would you please stand to hear these important words? And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now may God inspire us today through this powerful story. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Some of you are old enough to maybe have been taught this prayer when you were growing up. My mother taught it to me. It was the bedtime prayer. Maybe you remember it. And the first part of the prayer is just warm and wonderful and beautiful. And then you get to the middle section of the prayer and it gets a little creepy. And it kind of throws you off and makes you wonder. Most of you know the prayer. You ready to pray it with me? Let's do it. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake... I pray the Lord my soul to take. God bless everybody. Okay. <laughs> but that phrase, you know, if I should die before I wake, you know, my, my mother would kiss me on the cheek or pat me on the head and wink at me, you know, and say, all right, good night. Sleep tight. Don't let the bed bugs bite. And I'm thinking, bed bugs? They're the least of my worries. I could die doing this, doing this function. And so it just, uh, just kind of grips you, and you lay there wondering if I should doze off because it may be the last time. All of us are confronted with the subject, and we find these angels now over watching their flocks at night, and this angelic host arrives. And they're afraid, they're terrified at the angelic presence, as is often the case with these magnificent creatures of God, these angels. And the angel says to them, do not be afraid. Now, if you lived in first century Palestine, and you had any means as a family, you would actually hire someone at the birth of a child, hire someone to be a herald. And so you would send them to specific neighborhoods, and you would say to them, uh, be sure and let the social elite know about this birth. Politicians, let them know. Religious leaders, let them know. And so the, you know, the upper crust needs to hear this good announcement. Now, in this case, God sends these angels 
to herald the birth of Jesus. And where does he send them? He sends them not to the cultural center, but he sends them out in the middle of nowhere to a group of shepherds. And you say, well, what's wrong with that? Shepherds, you know, shepherds fit right in there. I mean, they're always in our nativity scene at home. So that's okay, isn't it? (laughs) And the answer is actually no. The shepherds were the most disrespected part of the community. They had the lowest stature. They They were pushed to the absolute margins of the culture. They were outcasts. They were the lowest of the low, the least educated. Oftentimes, they owed someone something. Uh, they were enslaved. So they had, to, they had to do this menial task. And they're, they're out there tending sheep. And it was a very unsavory way to make a living. They were always rejected. The religious leaders rejected them by saying that they, they could never get right with God. They, they weren't right with God and they couldn't be right with God. And so they constantly felt this distance from people. And so they were, they were way out there pushed to the edges of the culture. Now, there are three things they were probably feeling. Maybe you can identify with some of these feelings in your own circumstances. But one thing I think the angels felt, and this is on your outline. You might want to write this down. They felt unworthy. They felt unworthy. They're nomads. They're, they're wanderers. They, they have no real connection to the culture. And so they're just out there. And they feel unworthy because... They, they aren't able to participate in the mainstream of activities, particularly in their religious activities. There, there was a rhythm, a ritual pro- process, progress, that, that you would have to engage in order to be ceremonially clean. You'd have to go to the temple on a regular basis, and you had to participate in the rituals so that you found yourself not just, not just connected to the culture, but, but recognized by the culture as spiritually clean, connected. And these guys didn't have any of that, and they felt unworthy. And on top of that, they're physically dirty. I mean, they, they spend 24-7 with sheep. And so they're, they're unkept, they're unbathed, their hygiene isn't there. I mean, there's no truck stops along the way for them to shower up. So they're just out there. And so they're not only spiritually dirty, but they're physically dirty. You can imagine how they felt unworthy. You ever feel that way? Because we... We can come to church, try to put on our church face. You know, we, we try to dress up, especially around Christmas time, around the holidays. We like to look the part. We put on our fancy vests and our sweaters, and we try to look all put together. But look, we know. We know what we're really like. We know how we fail. We know, we know that we, we should do things that we don't, and we don't do things that we should. We know, we know that we fail. We know that we have faults. We know that about ourselves. And it is easy then to feel unworthy. And many people do. The uh, uncertainty of our life beyond this life becomes a real fear in the lives of people who feel unworthy. And it's so easy for us to live there and go there and, and dwell there and imagine our lives there. And so God has to send good news. The second thing these angels, these, uh, angels announced, which made these shepherds wonder, they also felt inadequate. They felt inadequate. They felt very inadequate. They were uneducated, underemployed, disconnected from the cultural center. They had all of this stuff. And, and so they were probably susceptible to the same temptations that we are, which, which is often found 
when we feel un, unworthy and inadequate, that comes as a result of comparing ourselves with other people. You ever do this? All of us do it. And we, we find ourselves doing that. Some of you ladies go to your friend's house and your, your friend's house is always clean. It's always spotless, always smells like candles, always got flowers displayed. Their kids are always perfectly appointed, all scrubbed up, and they all, they all look good. You know, you go home and you go, geez, I haven't even seen my floor for weeks, and I just feel inadequate. And spiritually, when they compared themselves, they felt very inadequate. As I mentioned, they couldn't keep the Sabbath. They couldn't get there on time. We see our... We see ourselves compared to other Christian people that we know, and, and we go, wow, they seem to have their life all together spiritually. You know, they have a Bible verse for everything, and, and they, they just always know the right thing to say. And when they pray, their prayers are so powerful. And then you reflect on that, you know, when's the last time I prayed? Okay. This last week, the only prayer I remember praying was that God would keep me from killing the person who took my parking space in the mall. God, please help me not to kill them. And that's your prayer life. And, and so they felt very unworthy and very inadequate. And that leads to the third thing, and maybe you can identify with this. They felt unloved. They felt unloved. In reality, most of them were thieves. It's sad to say, but it's true. They were, they were really not a popular part of the culture. They, they weren't trusted. People kept their distance from them. They weren't allowed to testify in court because they notoriously weren't trustworthy. And so all of these things... Fathers wouldn't bless their daughters to be married to them because they were so low and uneducated and filthy and no hope for a future. And so they, they felt unloved. You can understand why they would feel that way. But you know, this weekend and throughout the Christmas holidays, we've had many, many hundreds of people in our worship services here at Union Chapel. And you know what? There are a lot of people who feel unloved. You may be a person that when you were a kid, you were just a kid, and it was you and your parents, and one day your dad just decided he would leave you, and he abandoned you and your mother, and it was just you and your mother. And all these years, you've stopped and you've thought about that, and you wondered, what is wrong with us? What is wrong with me that my dad didn't want to love us? You feel very unloved because of that. And there, there are people who, who are experiencing Christmas in a very lonely way this year because Sometime in the last year, your spouse decided to leave you for someone else. They just got tired of you, I guess, and they went to be with someone else. And today, you're experiencing Christmas, and you feel very alone. You feel very unworthy and inadequate and unlovable, and it can happen. There are some people who will look in a mirror in the next few weeks, and I don't know why things get so poignant and so dram dramatized and so so uh, expanded and, and, and multiplied, whatever pain or dysfunction or dis, disconsternation that we might have, it gets amplified around this time of the year. You may look in the mirror and you say, yeah, I don't, I don't like who I see. I don't love that person. And you say to yourself, people don't love me and I don't love me. Why in the world should God love me? And this is how people begin to devolve in their lives and in their world. And they feel very unloved. Perception and reality are two different things. And of course, this comparison that we make with others and the perception we have of others is not often close to reality at all. In fact, I just remind you today that everybody's got their stuff and everybody's got their issues. And you may be sitting next to someone right now and you think, well, he's got it all together. or She's got her life all together. 
and he's really more successful than me. And you look at their family and say, their family's really, really put together, and they seem to be going so well, and my family's such a mess. And, and you wonder, you, you have no idea what the experience of the person next to you is. In the course of these services in our church, there are single mothers. And if the truth would be known, they would tell you that they're not sure why they're even still alive. They don't even, they don't even know how they're going to make it. And they re- realize that the only reason I, I keep going is because of my children. I live for them, and that's it. Otherwise, I, I just don't know why. I would want to stay alive. It's too hard. It's too difficult. And you feel unloved. Maybe a guy in the church who's struggling financially, and it's embarrassing, and it's shameful to you, and and you know that when your kids go back to school after Christmas break, that when they talk to their peers and their cronies, what did you get for Christmas? They'll have to lie because there wasn't much Christmas at your house this year. You just don't know the story, the narrative of people who are close to you. There are single adults in the life of our church who try hard. They love Jesus. They serve well. They try to present themselves in a positive way. But what happens is, They don't seem to attract anyone else. And they wonder, why doesn't anyone want me? You feel unlovable. You may be be sitting someone in your section right now who looks incredibly successful. Incredibly successful. And you think everything is perfect in their life, but it's not perfect because there's, there's enormous burdens and there's enormous pain in their lives. And they've come to a place where they they don't even feel like they can talk to anyone about it. And so they feel alone and isolated in the unique challenges of their life. You just don't know what's going on in people's lives. And we can easily feel inadequate, can't we? And unworthy and unlovable. Because life happens and life is hard and it hands us these things and it's very difficult. And we can identify with these shepherds in some of these emotions and I want to just to share with you today that there's actually good news in the midst of all this because, because the shepherds discovered something that all of us need to discover as well. And that discovery is that God has made a way for us. That religion, while it doesn't work for the shepherds, it neither works for us. See, religion says that if you'll do a certain list of things and you'll not do a certain other list of things, then you're a good person. And the more good things you do on the list, more than someone else, gives you permission to look down your nose at them. And so we have Pharisees who come along the scene, and they look down their nose at folks because they're trying to keep the law, the whole law. And there are 613 laws that they're trying to keep. So they wake up in the morning, and they go, okay, there are only 613 rules I have to keep today. Now listen, you try to live that way, your underpants is going to be in a horrible bunch and it's going, to make you, it's going to make you sour. It's going to make you cynical. It's going to make you sad. It's going to make you, you mean. The meanest people in the world are religious people who insist on following the rules, do's and don'ts. And Jesus came on this group of guys, and so you guys have missed the whole point. These Pharisees were trying to cross every T and dot every I. And Jesus said, you know, you try to make this appearance on the outside. Because it seems like everybody looks good on the outside. But he said, you know, it's not about what's on the outside. What's really important is what's going on the inside of your life. And he says to the Pharisees, you know, you look great on the outside, but on the inside you're rotten and you're filthy. 
And now you're trying to impose these rules, same kind of rules, and making people feel guilty and judged. You try to impose these rules on the people around you. And Jesus said, look, it wants, wants, wants to make me puke. Because you've missed the whole point. And now the shepherds are entreated and they are approached and God has sent this herald, this angelic herald, and says to them, hey, good news for you guys. Glad tidings, great joy, which shall be for you and everyone. For today in the city of David, Bethlehem, a Savior has been born. And it's wonderful news. It's great news. Romans chapter 3 outlines it for us. The Apostle Paul gives us a beautiful, open window of understanding into this hopeful good news. Romans 3, 20 and 22 says, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands, because the law simply shows us how sinful we are. God has shown us a way to be right with Him without keeping the requirements of the law. We are made right with God not by observing the law, but by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Now let's just break it down. One, two, three. It's on your outline. Here's the good news. And this is really great news. Number one, you cannot earn God's acceptance by observing the law. Can't do it. The Pharisees tried 613 laws. You can't do it. Then when Christians started coming along, you know, we said, well, let's just limit it to 10. Let's just call it 10 commandments. And let's try to keep those. And then we realized, well, that's too hard, too. We can't keep those. We'll fail miserably. So Jesus said, let's just, let's just trim it down to two. Here are the only two things you need to, need to follow. Number one, love God. Number two, love people. Jesus said, all the law and all the prophets are contained in these two things. Love God, love people. So he just simplified it for us. Because you cannot earn God's acceptance by observing the law. You can't get there from here. Then the second thing, and this is really great news, the law reveals our need for a Savior. Yes, well, what's the purpose of the law if it can't get us to God? The purpose of the law, Romans chapter 3, verse 20, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Now, I want to say something about our culture today. Our culture today, one of the fundamental flaws in our thinking is that so many people actually believe that they're good. If you go out on the street today and ask the average person, do you believe you're a good person? They say, oh yeah, I'm a good person. Do you know any bad people? Oh yeah, I know a few bad people, but I'm not like that. I'm actually a good person. Why are you good? Well, you know, I try to be decent with people and kind to people and generous when I can and, and try not to, you know, golden rule, doing to others. I, you know, I, yeah, I'm a good person. And so there is... There is implied in this notion that we are good people that somehow a loving God is going to accept people who are relatively good uh, into, his, into His presence someday. The problem is that we compare ourselves relative to other people. But it's the wrong standard because the standard that God calls us to is His best standard and God's standard is way above ours. And that's why the Bible teaches that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that all of us fall short. Relative to you, I may be great. Relative to someone else, I may not be so great. And compared to God, I'm not great at all. And so in this culture, folks have gotten the impression that they're good, and therefore, because they're basically good compared to someone else, that they're acceptable to God. Let me just, because it's Christmas, let me demonstrate to you just how, how bad you are. Is that all right? 
This will be my gift to you. We'll put a bow on it, all right? Let me ask you this. By show of hands, how many of you, how many of you have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Keep it up. Keep your hand up. Told a lie. Now look around to people who don't have their hand up. Just look at them and say, you big, dirty liar. <laughs> big, fat liar. It's unbelievable. Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever stolen something? Raise your hand. I got my hand up. Didn't belong to you. You took it. How about this? Do not raise your hand. Do not raise your hand on this one. Maybe just move your pinky. Very, be very subtle in this one, all right? How many have, have you ever looked lustfully at another person? Thank you, sir, for not raising your hand. That's good. What do you call someone who lies? What do you call someone who steals things? Jesus said, Jesus actually said, if you look upon another person with, with lust, you've committed adultery with them already in your heart. That's a pretty high standard, isn't it? Jesus said, if you look at someone a little sideways, you've already committed adultery with that person in your heart. Wow. That's, that's pretty strict. But, so what do you call someone who's looked lustfully at another person? Call him an adulterer. So let me just summarize. It's a church full of lying, thieving adulterers. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to the party. Yeah. And you say, well, that, you know, that's, that's funny. But this is so important. Because, you can't, because if you miss this, you'll miss the whole idea. Until you see yourself as a sinner then you don't have a need for a Savior. But you've got to recognize yourself. Listen, that may have found charming and funny. How many of you, how many of you are liars? Yeah, I'm a liar. Well, the fact is we're all liars, and we're all thieves, and we're all adulterers in our heart. Every last single one of us. We've all failed. Jesus said if you failed on one point of the law, you failed on every one of them. So you've got 613 do's and don'ts, and he says all you have to do is mess up one of them, and you're guilty of messing up all of them. So where does that leave us? That leaves us in great need because we can't manage it on our own. We can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it in our own power. I can't possibly be good enough. I can't perform well enough. I can't manage it in my own strength to get God's approval. So I need someone from outside of my life to come in and to rescue my life. And that's what the angels were announcing, this glorious good news. That leads to the third point, which is... Righteousness with God comes by faith in Christ alone. That's, that's how you get forgiven. It's not Christ plus religion. It's not Christ plus church membership. It's not Christ plus giving money. It's not Christ plus good works. It is Christ plus nothing. It is Christ alone. Righteousness with God comes by faith in Christ alone. Romans 3.22 we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. And there's the good news. What if Jesus came in the room today? Jesus walked right in the room, and he's wearing a, a white robe. It's white. It's perfectly white. It is pure white. It's glowing white. 
And he walks over to you. And he asks you to stand next to him. And you stand next to him and you realize, wow, that's white. <laughs> he said, how about this? He said, why don't you take your outer garment off? And you take your coat off, your vest off. And he said, what do you think about that? And you look at it and you go, that's that's pretty dirty. It's pretty unworthy. It's pretty inadequate. It's pretty unlovable. And he says, here's what I want to do. And he takes off his outer robe, which is perfectly white, and he puts it over your shoulders. And he says, there. Now I have given you my righteousness. And you say, oh, I, I don't deserve this. And he said, I know. You say, I haven't, I haven't earned this. He said, yes, I understand. He said, Lord, I, I, haven't, I haven't done anything to merit wearing this. And he said, I get that. But he said, I want you to have it as my gift to you, as an expression of my love. Because I know, left to your own strength and your own ability and your own performance, your own service, your own effort, it'll never be enough. And so I will give you my righteousness as a free gift. That's the good news. That's what all of this is about. Once a year, the whole world goes, what? Merry Christmas. What is that about? You know, as much as our culture tries to push this aside, you know, and secularists want to want to remove any kind of religious imagery from, from the holiday, you know, and commercial retail stores, you know, you go into and there's, there's no reference to Christmas at all. They're glad to collect your money, but there's no reference to the reason for the season and all of that is happening in our culture right now. Now, you can, you can get at whatever level of frustration that you'd like to about that. But let me just bring you back to the primary focus. There is a reason why we pause as a, the people of humanity to recognize this moment. And the reason we pause, the reason for the lights, the reason for all the expressions, the reason for this opportunity is because God, being rich in His love and mercy toward us, in that while we were still sinners, sent His only Son to die on our behalf. He made a way for us when there was no way. He satisfied the penalty of our sins, which He knew we could never resolve in our own strength and performance. And He made available to us this beautiful gift, which is the gift of forgiveness and a restored relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is why the angels announced his birth. That's why he shows up and the, and, the, and the shepherds were absolutely stunned. And the angel said, glad tidings of a great joy, which shall be for all peoples. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this is how you'll find him. And they gave him directions to these shepherds where they might find this child. Friends, we pause now 2,000 years later. And we say, God, thank you for this amazing gift, an expression of your love. I had a friend call me this week. He's been a good friend for over 20 years. He formerly lived in Muncie, owned a, a good business. And he would call me from time to time when he got himself in a kind of a moral dilemma. He's a very smart guy, very effective, very complicated person. And he would call me, and he'd come in my office, and we'd sit down. And, and he would wrestle with these issues, moral issues, ethical issues, and I'd try to point him in the right direction. But I'd always finally say to him, you know, 
The real solution to all these questions you have in your life is for you to get reconciled with God, for you to get right with God and your relationship with God. You know, all this, all this periphery becomes secondary if you have your primary relationship with God in place. And I would explain to him the good news, that you can't earn your way, you can't perform your way, you don't deserve the way. God has given you the way through His Son, Jesus, and by receiving this gift by faith is how you are forgiven. And He would always push back, so it can't be that easy. can't be that easy. There's got to be a catch. There's got to be more to it than that. I just can't believe, I cannot believe that God would forgive me just because I simply asked Him to forgive me. And I said, well, you may not, you may not think that that's possible. That, that may not make sense to you, but it's the only hope we have. Because if God doesn't give it to us as a gift, we are all doomed. Because you can't make it, and I can't make it in our own strength. And he said, well, I just can't believe I'm forgiven. And then the last few years, he started attending our church. And he was here every week. He's listening to these messages. And we'd talk a little bit further. And then finally they moved some months ago. But I got a call this week, as I mentioned. And he said, I wanted you to know something. We've found another church. We've been attending there. And he said, I want, I want you to know something. I told you all those years that I just couldn't understand God's forgiveness. And I didn't feel forgiven. He said, I want you to know that I finally understood what it means. He said, I, I am forgiven. And he said, my wife and I have followed Christ in obedience through baptism. We've been recently baptized. And we want you to know that we're going to celebrate Christmas this year for the first time with our family, knowing that we're forgiven. Isn't that good? Isn't that great? Isn't that good? I'm going to ask you a question today, friends. Do you know where you stand with God? Do you know where you stand with God? Are you forgiven? Have you called on his help, someone from outside of your own ability to touch you at the point of your need? We joked about it earlier, but listen, we're all just filthy, dirty outcasts. We're all just a bunch of shepherds living on the margins of God's best plan for us until we say yes to this amazing grace. And make our way to this Christ child who is the Savior of the world. Do you know him today? You no longer have to be afraid of what's going to happen to you when you die. You can know that your sins are forgiven. And that you're in right relationship with God. I pray that you'll take that step today if you haven't. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the power of the gospel. The good news for your presence here today. We ask, God, that you would minister to us that would be life-giving, life-transforming. I wonder, as we pray today, if there may be someone in the room, you're carrying a heavy burden right now. We've talked for three weeks now about fear. With Mary, it was the fear of what God was asking us to do. With Joseph, it was the fear of what people think. Today, it's the fear of where I stand with God. Some of you might be in a situation right now where you have fears, financial fears. Maybe you've had a bad health report or someone you love. Others of you, there may be relational tension, your marriage with your children. Some of you, you, you know you're going to see family this coming week. 
you know there's high potential for drama, high potential for hurt. Some of you might be feeling the burden of feeling very alone. And you're afraid. Now, today, what I want to do is give you an opportunity to cast your cares on God because He cares for you. Every time an angel appeared, the angel would say, don't be afraid. Because the angel comes to represent the goodness of God. Because God is here. You really have nothing to fear. And those of you who would say, yeah, there's a heaviness, there's a burden, there's a concern. Maybe there's a fear that you've been carrying. And today, by faith, you just want to give that over to God. If that's true for you, would you just lift your hand? Just be honest. Say, yeah, there's a burden. There's, there are issues. I just want to cast that on God. God, I thank you for those who, in a moment of honesty, are seeking you. I thank you that you know all the details of every situation and you're good. And as we cast our cares on you, thank you that you would give us supernatural peace that goes beyond our human ability to understand. We thank you, God, that You've not given us a spirit of fear, but power and of love and a sound mind. And so, God, by faith, we ask that you would work miraculously in these situations. We thank you in advance for your grace, your power, your peace. As we keep praying, just for a few more moments, Sabbath, there, there may be some of you in the room today, and from a spiritual perspective, spiritually speaking, you do feel unworthy. You feel inadequate. You feel unloved. And maybe before today, before this service, you didn't understand the good news, but now you realize how good it really is and that God loves you so much that the purpose of His law was to show you that you can't do it on your own. You need someone else. And He loved you so much that He sent His Son, Jesus, that whoever calls on His name would be completely changed and forgiven and made new. There may be someone in this room today that God brought you here specifically for this moment. Maybe you're even sensing it. You know, on the inside, there's something happening. You say, what is that? I can tell you that's the power of a loving God drawing you toward himself. Because you recognize, maybe for the first time, I do need him. I need his grace. I need his mercy. I need his forgiveness. That's why I'm here today. It's my time to say, yes, I've sinned against you. I need your forgiveness today. And by faith, I give my life to you. Now, if that's, if that's where you are today, if that's your prayer, I want you to pray out loud after me. Just pray this prayer with me. And, and all of us are going to enjoin you. We'll all pray this together. You ready? After me. Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. And I do need a Savior. Jesus, forgive me. Change me. Make me brand new. I believe that you died for me. And you rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I can follow you. I can know you. And I can serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. All right, would you stand with us as we sing? Thank you.